Good morning, Grace. Ah, I haven't been able to say that in a while, so it's good to be up here. Uh, today's passage we're reading from is Colossians 1, 24 through 29. If you're using the Bibles that are under the pews, that is page 983. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, welcome again, everyone. Before we jump into today's sermon, I want to tell you what's coming up. One another. So, starting next Sunday, we're going to launch a a sermon series called One Another. It'll go for about eight or nine weeks. Each week, we're going to look at a different one another passage in the New Testament. So, love one another, welcome one another, encourage one another, and so on and so on. In addition to this, now you might remember back at Easter time, uh, I introduced Ann Edgen to you. Ann is usually seated over here. Ann, are you in here? She's way over here to the far left. Ann and, and I have been participating in an artist-in-residency program through Fuller Theological Seminary, and you might remember at Easter time we displayed some of her art. Well, uh, she is tasked with doing a big project to fulfill that. I said she because it's both of us, but she's doing all the work. Um, and so what you're going to see starting next week is we're going to um, do a cooperative art project based on these one another sermons. So next week when you come in, you're going to see two big canvases out here in the foyer, and each week you will be invited to, to be a part of creating a beautiful work of art. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> you say, Brady, I'm not artistic. Trust me. We have lowered this to the lowest common denominator. Literally, all you will have to do is take a piece of paper and glue it to the canvas. That's all you got to (laughs) do. And we're going to see it grow and grow. And it's supposed to be a picture of how when we come together and we one another with each other, it becomes this beautiful expression of Christ, doesn't it? All right. So get excited about that. Today, we're going to finish up our series that we've entitled Essential, Essential. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about our essential mindset and essential members and our essential message. Today, we're going to look at our essential mission, our essential mission from Colossians. So find Colossians, should have it already. Josh read it for us. Our essential mission. When you, when you think of the word mission, the word essential just goes with it, doesn't it? 
Those words go hand in hand. Like, nobody made a movie called Mission Optional, right? Or Mission Maybe. That does, that's not a thing. If it's a mission, it's essential. That's why it's a mission. That's, that's why we go out and do… That's why we send soldiers on a, on a mission, on a secret mission. Not because, eh, maybe it's important. No, we do it because it's, it's important. Super important. We have to do it. So too with Christ. Christ's mission. Christ was sent from heaven by the Father on a mission. Mission to do what? To rescue humanity, a rescue mission to save us, to save you, to save me. That's not optional. That's not not important. That's crucial, critical. It, it's, it's rooted in the very nature of God and, and the nature of redemptive history and salvation and all of these big concepts. And at the end of the day, Jesus wanted to save us. He wanted to save us. And so he left everything behind, and he came down, and he lost everything, and he went to the cross for you and for me. And now, church, here's the most amazing thing. Here's the most amazing thing, is that we are invited into Christ's very own mission. We are called to Christ's mission. Point number one, lesson number one, we are called to Christ's mission. So let's, let's walk through this passage in Colossians together and see how Paul, the apostle, describes his ministry, his mission, and then, you know, what can we glean from that? What can we learn from that as we launch out into mission, not just this week, but, you know, hopefully every day of our lives? We are on mission. So let's look at verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I rejoice in my sufferings. So starting with suffering is probably not the best way for me to recruit volunteers this morning. Um, (laughs) But that's how Paul starts this section, isn't it? I rejoice in my suffering. Why does, he, why does he call his ministry suffering? Well, come on. Any of, any of us that have done ministry know it is suffering, isn't it? It is hard. You have to give something up to love others and care for others and serve others. You have to give up your time. You have to bear burdens. Ministry brings with it unique temptations that come, that come with it. Ministry means that um, it, you're not, it's not just you're bearing your own, your own issues. As soon as you choose to serve others, now you're also carrying all their issues too, aren't you? And you know that. You, you, this, you know, as a church, you know this. As someone who's loved another person, you know this. And yet Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Well, why does he say that? Well, it's not because suffering is is inherently good, but he says, because it's for your sake, for your sake. Our suffering is for the sake of another. And then he makes this statement that has kind of baffled, baffled commentators and, and scholars for a long time, Not, uh, and, and we're kind of, you know, what does this mean? 
I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, here's, here's what, that's a hard sentence for sure. That's a hard phrase. But here's what we know it can't mean. It can't mean that Paul is saying that the death of Christ, the cross of Christ, was somehow insufficient or lacking. He's not saying that. Because that would literally go against everything else the man ever wrote. And it would go against the whole book of Hebrews, and it would really go against the whole New Testament. So, what does it mean? What does it mean when Paul says, I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? I think in simplest terms, it means this, that Christ continues to suffer for the church. His death on the cross was sufficient. His death on the cross, it is finished, he said. But he continues to suffer for the building of his church. And how does Christ suffer today? Through your suffering. Through your suffering. Through my suffering. As the body of Christ. So when we suffer, we can truly say we are suffering as Christ for the body of Christ. We are suffering as Christ for the body of Christ. One more time. We are suffering as Christ for the body of Christ. Does that describe your life? Do you suffer as Christ for the body of Christ? Would I see any markers of that? Would I see that displayed in your life, Christian? Now listen, this does not mean that we try to increase our suffering. We don't glorify suffering. We don't go looking for suffering. You know, here in Grace Gives, we're not, the pastors don't sit around and think, we got to make Grace Gives really hard on the volunteers so they suffer for Jesus. VBS teachers, no chairs this year. No cha- just no chairs. You're just going to stand up for three straight That's because you got to suffer for Christ. No, we don't do that. That's not what this means. In fact, our suffering as Christ for the body of Christ is meant to relieve suffering. Right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to wash your car for you so you don't have to suffer and wash your own car. We're going to feed you so you don't have to worry about where's my next meal going to come from. We're going to collect food for the food pantry. We're going to rake your leaves so you don't have to, as maybe an elderly person or a single mom who doesn't have all the time, we're going to do that for you and relieve your… We're going to suffer so you don't have to. And most importantly, we're going to suffer in proclaiming the gospel so that you don't suffer eternally. Verse 25, so here we go with our mission, our mission. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Paul's going to give us two parts to his mission, make the Word of God fully known and present everyone mature in Christ. Make the Word of God fully known, present everyone mature in Christ. So verse 25, make the Word of God fully known, the gospel fully 
known. We always say that what is Grace Gives about? Grace Gives is about saturating our community with the gospel through serving and speaking. We're going to saturate with the gospel. We're going to make the gospel fully known. Okay, what is this word of God? What is this gospel? Look at verse 26 and 27. In verse 26, he calls it a mystery, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, the, of this mystery. Mystery. So a mystery is something that is hidden and then revealed. In, in Jewish thought, they would have said, yes, God has a mysterious, unrevealed plan for the future. In Greek thought, Greco-Roman thought, they would say, yes, there is hidden knowledge out there, mysterious knowledge that we have to figure out. So, either God's plan or God's knowledge in their minds is hidden by God, and good luck figuring it out. And Paul is saying, no, <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you the mystery. I'm going to reveal to you the mystery of God. How many of you in here have ever thought, I wish I could know all the mysteries of God? Yeah. Okay, here you go. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was anticlimactic. Come on. <laughs> Guys, that's the mysteries of the universe. I just told you the mysteries of the universe. Christ in you. Christ in you is God's mystery. It's what everything in this book has been leading towards. It, it, you know, what's, what's God's secret plan? Christ in you. What's God's secret knowledge? Christ in you. It's not a secret. It's revealed. It says that. It's revealed to His saints. Christ in you. The glory of this mystery, the riches of the glory. Here's the mystery. Here's the question. Here's what everybody's been wrestling with for all of human history. How do we get to be with God? How do we know God? How do we have God in us? Whatever, whatever faith it is, whatever religion it is, maybe it's a religion like Islam where we're, we're trying to get to God by doing five pillars, or maybe it's Judaism where we're going to be with God because of ten commandments, or maybe it's Buddhism or Hinduism where I'll be one with, uh, one with the cosmos or, or one with um, the Brahma because I have figured out the great mysteries of the universe, and so now I am God. No. No. Christ in you. How do you get to be with God forever? Christ in you. How do you know God? Christ in you. 
How do you go to heaven? Christ in you. See, that's the mystery. Here's, the, here's actually the mystery. The mystery isn't that you go to heaven. The mystery is heaven came to you. Christ came to you and offers you himself and is saying, I want to live in you. I want to put heaven in you. See, every other faith, all the, all the people you're going to talk to this week, maybe you're listening to me and you're one of these people, they're, they're going to say, look, God's at the top of the mountain. We all know this. God's at the top of the mountain, and we're all climbing up the mountain, aren't we? And maybe your path to God is, is a little Eastern, and maybe your path to God is, is a little bit more religious or churchy, right? But as long, as long as we all make it up to the mountain, we all get God, there's a massive problem with that. God's perfect. God's holy. God is just. God can't tolerate all your foolishness. So if, if you're getting up the mountain on your own, you're going to get up to the top and you're going to face a God that says, why on earth should I let you be with me you know, Psalm 15, in Psalm 15, David says, who gets to dwell on the mountaintop with God? Those who do good and are just and have integrity and never lie. Okay, raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, Brady, I've never lied. I've always had integrity. I've always done the good and just thing. There's only one human being who's done that. Christ. Christ in you. That's what we make known. Christ in you, the hope of glory, he says. The hope of glory. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're watching me online and you're not a Christian, let me, can I ask you a question? What's your hope of glory? What's your hope of glory? My guess is it's probably temporal. Maybe it's temporal. Popularity sexuality, authenticity. Whew. That doesn't last long, does it? <laughs> yes, I am authentic. No, you're not. Your appearance, your abilities, how smart you are, your career, your trophy wife, your trophy kids, the car you drive, or, or okay, you, well, Brady, I'm not that shallow. Come on, don't assume I'm shallow. Okay, okay, I'll back off. Is your hope of glory something more transcendent, more eternal? Is it your good works? Is it, is it, is it some, sort of, some sort of inherent goodness? Is it that at the end of the day, on the, on the cosmic scales, your good will outweigh your bad. Okay. Okay, but again, God's perfect. God's perfect. So, he's requir His requirement is perfection. Can you pass that test? I can't. God came to us. God came down. Christ took on flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
The glorious mystery is that Christ is the glory of God come to us. That's what this cross is all about, that He came to us, that He lived the perfect life that you could never live, and He died the death that you deserve to die. And when you trust in that alone, you receive all that is His, so that now you can dwell in the glorious presence of God. Not on your own merit, shallow merits, transcendent merits, I don't care. It's still merit. Now, not on your own merits, but on the merits of Christ alone, you are welcomed into the glorious presence of God. Will you receive Him today? Will you receive Him today? Will you cancel all your self-salvation projects, toss them aside, admit that they're failures, admit that they're temporal, admit that they'll fail, and receive Jesus Christ? Christian, let me talk to you. Christian, what's your hope of glory? Why Jesus, of course. Okay, good, good. Let me ask you. Have you slipped into, if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, um, let me see here. <laughs> I'm, missing, I'm missing my passage. Trust me, it's in Colossians. Um, <laughs> I didn't put it in my notes. Paul is talking to Christians and he'll say, look, Here's, here's what you faded into. You faded into this secret wisdom. You faded into the worship. He talks about the worship. You started worshiping angels. He talks about asceticism, meaning, meaning they, they hurt themselves. They sin and so they hurt themselves. They beat themselves up or they deny themselves things, right? He talks about new moons and Sabbaths and special days as if that's what makes them worthy. He goes through this whole list. He talks about sensual experiences. Christian, let me ask you, what is your hope of glory? Is it Christ in me? Full stop, period. Christ in me, period, the end, the hope of glory. Because here's the problem. Too many Christians have made their sanctification their hope of glory. They've, made, they've let their progress in the Christian life become their hope of glory. They, they've let their spiritual growth become their hope of glory. And so as a result, we have a lot of discouraged Christians. I'm, I, know, I know I'm doing great because I'm sinning less and less. Oh, no. Oh, no. When I hear you say that as a pastor, that breaks my heart. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're just sinning in different ways. You're just, sin you're just sinning in nicer ways. <laughs> you've, you've, just replaced, you've just replaced immoral sins for moralistic sins. That's what you've done. Listen, what is your hope of glory, Christian? Is it your level of suffering for Jesus? Is it your experiences, your, your hand-raising experiences as you worship Christ? 
Is it is your is your hope of glory the knowledge you have because of all the Bible studies you go to? Is your hope of glory the the asceticism of denying yourself? I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run with girls who do, and that's what makes me that's what makes me glorious. Listen, Christian, what is your hope of glory? Christ in me. No more, no less. Verse 28, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Listen, we don't proclaim a program. We don't proclaim Christian principles. We don't proclaim a a plan. We don't proclaim a certain way of life. We don't proclaim rules. We proclaim Him. Him. It's a who, not a what. We don't even proclaim Christianity. We proclaim Christ. This is what we are going to go out and proclaim. Not Grace Baptist Church, not Awana, not Two Squared, not your small group. Christ. Christ is what we proclaim. Christ is who we proclaim. What is God's program? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is God's path? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is God's mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The end. Proclaim Him. Proclaim the person, Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin, raised fully human, fully God, perfect in righteousness, died on a cross, raised the third day, ascended into glory. We proclaim Him. We proclaim His work, His finished work for us, His life, His death for us us. This is the only hope for mankind. All else is works righteousness. All else is temporal. All else will fade away. And at the end of the day, I believe that when we stand in judgment with Christ as the judge, he's going to ask us one question. What did you do with me? What did you do with me? Well, I cast out demons, and I did this, and I started a church, and I had the biggest Bible study, and I, and I did this, and I did Grace Gives, and I washed more cars than anyone, and, and nobody else would sign up for those VBSers. I did it, Lord. And he's going to say, yeah, but what did you say about me? What did you say about me? Did you trust in me? Why do we do this? Why do we proclaim Christ so that we can present everyone mature in Christ, he says. Do you see that? End of verse 28, present everyone. Let's just look at that word everyone for a second. Listen to me, Grace Baptist Church. There is no discrimination in our message, is there? Who is Jesus for? Everybody. Everybody say it, everybody. Well, Brady, what about, I mean, what about Democrats? (laughs) Surely Jesus isn't for that. Yes, Jesus is for everybody. (laughs) Black, white, tall, short, old, young, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian, slave. Pick a category. Jesus is for you. (laughs) 
There's no limit. There's no limit. The gospel's for everyone. Next, look at this word mature. We present everyone mature. Complete. Complete. Full. Functioning as intended. Telos. It's the Greek word telos. Okay. We want everyone to be a fully functioning human being, which we believe as Christians, we believe that's impossible without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, no human being is fully functioning. Why? Why do you say that, Brady? That's, that's, that's harsh. That's rough. Okay, here's why. Because we can't, we can't love as we are called to love without first accepting into our hearts unconditional, pure, and perfect love. You just, you just can't. And I'm not even saying all the Christians are doing it right. We're not. But at least we got a chance. And one day we will. Self-manufactured love will fail. It will break down. But God-manufactured love placed into our hearts, Romans 5, by the Holy Spirit, will produce love in return, unconditional, self-sacrificing love, which is what human beings are meant to be. You can't be good without first being declared good. You can't be righteous without first being declared righteous. You can't love without first being loved. Mature. This is how maturity works. Because God has put, us, put it into us, we can now grow up into it, into maturity. Notice the next thing he says. Mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. Wait a minute, Brady. I thought it was Christ in you. Now he flipped it. He went and flipped it to you in Christ. Which is it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's both. Look, Christ in you, at salvation, Christian, when you received Christ, you received Christ into you. Now Christ is being formed in you. Paul says in Galatians, I feel like a mother in labor until Christ is formed in you. Christ is being formed in us, and he's outworking himself from the inside out. But what makes that possible is the fact that you are also in Christ. You are also in Christ. What does that mean? We are in Christ means that Christ is our representative head. In other words, Christ sits before God in our place. On the cross, he was in our place. In heaven, he is in our place. In, in life, he is in our place. All that is his is ours. Just like all that was Adam's became ours, the sin, the sin nature, the fallenness, the brokenness, the corruption. Now, in Christ, all that is his becomes ours. Not because we earned it, but because he is our representative. Everything the Father hands to Jesus, he hands to all who are in Jesus. Wow. Eternal life, eternal glory, eternal hope, all of the blessings of heaven. 
So what does this look like in the Christian life? What does it look like to have a mature Christian? It means you have a Christian that is living by faith in the grace of God. This is the easiest, simplest way for me to put it. What is a mature Christian? A mature Christian is living by faith in the grace of God. Meaning when they fail, they turn to the grace of God. When they get it right, they they give credit to the grace of God. They're living constantly in trust. They're living constantly in faith. Over time, this begins to affect change. This begins to, the trusting the love of God starts to make me loving. Trusting the faithfulness of God starts to make me, guess what? Faithful. Trusting the holiness of God, lo and behold, I wake up one day and, hey, I'm kind of holy-ish, right? I'm not trying to be those things. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting in what He's doing, and then the Spirit is producing this fruit in me. This is a mature Christian. This includes decisions, decisions that we make, decisions to make disciples, decisions to invest our time and money and energy, and decisions to warn everyone and teach everyone. Here at Grace, we have a, we have a picture that we use in training. If you've ever been to a leadership training here, you've seen this picture, right? Maybe it's the first time you're seeing it. We talk here at Grace about um, engaging people, evangelizing, establishing, and equipping this movement of maturity. So at at Grace Gives, we're going to engage people. We're going to invite them into very simple things like get your car washed, let us rake your leaves, let us clean your gutters. We're going to evangelize. We're going to share the hope of the glory of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're going to share that. We're going to evangelize unashamedly. We're going to hope to establish people in the faith and then equip them to go out and do likewise. So a a good question is, where are you? Where are you? Maybe this morning you're just being engaged by this church. Maybe it's your very first time. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're hearing all this for the very first time. Maybe you've heard the gospel message over and over and over again. What's preventing a decision? Let me just ask you that. What's preventing a decision? Maybe, maybe you've been coming to this church, and let's just be honest, you, you're just not really established. You're not serving. You're not helping anyone. You're not coming alongside people. Or maybe you're involved and you're, and you're thinking, man, I really need to, I wish I, could, I, I wish I could know more how to get equipped, how to help others, what to say in this situation, how to counsel in this situation. Where are you? Where are you in this? Look, I hate to make it a path. I hate to make it a program. If this is helpful, it's helpful. If it's not, it's not. But at the end of the day, I think it's important for us to be asking to what in what space am I trusting Christ? How am I allowing Christ in me, the hope of glory, to express Himself to others? Okay, lesson two. 
So lesson one, we're called to the mission of Christ. Lesson two, we are empowered for Christ's mission. Because, look, here's God. God never asks for what he doesn't empower. God never tells us to do something if he doesn't empower us to do it. Look at verse 29. Okay, remember his mission. Proclaim the word of God. Present everyone mature in Christ. Proclaim the word, present people mature. That's what we're doing as a church. Now look at verse 29. For this, this mission, for this mission, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Praise God. Let's start at the beginning. For this I toil, exhaustion. That's what the word means. I'm exhausted. Okay, if you're not exhausted by the end of today, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> right? There should be a some level of exhaustion. Look, I, look, I get it. I talk, I talk to church members all the time that are like, man, this is rough. Caring for my parents, that's hard. Caring, caring for this small group is hard. Caring for this class, this third through fifth grade class is hard. Yes, yes, it is. It is. It should be. It should be. It should, it, there should be exhaustion. The word struggling is even stronger. Agony. It's literally the word agony. <laughs> I agonize. Paul is saying, I am working hard and I am agonizing over this. That's, that's convicting for me. I mean, can, do I go to bed every night thinking, I toiled and struggled today for, for the cause of Christ? But here's the warning, guys. Listen, here, listen to me very carefully, because the rest of this verse is super important. Because we can toil and struggle from our own strength, or we can do it from the energy that is Christ and the power that is Christ's. And I'm going to try to help us understand the difference. His energy. First of all, that's an amazing statement. We have Christ's very own energy. I, listen, I want you to understand this, this is not saying um, toil and struggle like Jesus. It's not saying that. Again, He's saying, toil and struggle as Jesus. It's actually, literally, spiritually, Jesus' own energy in you working out of you. His desires are driving you. His love is driving you. His power is driving you. His hope is driving you. When you're doing it right, that's what's happening. It's Christ doing it. 
I'm not, I'm not overstating it. His energy that powerfully works within me. Christian, do you believe that you have resurrection power in you? Three of us do. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. I'll take the three. In Ephesians, Paul prays. Ephesians 1, Paul prays. I pray that you would know the hope to which he has called you and the power that raised Christ from the dead that you have inside of you. I pray that you would know the power. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that you have inside of you. Okay, what does that mean, Brady? What does that mean? This is all up in the clouds. This is all mystical. Ah, okay, here's what it is. Here's what it is. Hope, faith, love. Hope, faith, love. Christian, here's what you have inside of you that is not generated by you, but is generated by God. First of all, the power of hope. You have the power of hope. The hope of glory. Christian, listen to me. Our hope is not, I hope so, I hope so. I hope Grace Gives is successful this year. No, Grace Gives will be successful this year. You know why? Because Jesus is successful. It's what he does. He just wins. He just wins at everything. Grace Gives will be successful. Whether it looks like it in the flesh or not, Jesus will win. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the hope of glory? Do you believe that nothing you will do this week will be in vain? Oh man, I was expecting 12 kids in my class and there was only eight. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Oh, I blew it. I had the opportunity to share and I only said a little bit, not the whole thing. Jesus wins. Listen, Jesus is going to win. It is our hope of glory. Our hope of glory. Nothing's in vain. Number two, the power of faith. The power of faith that God is the one doing the work, not us. It's his power, his energy. Let your eyes go back to verse 21. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to what? Present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. A couple verses later is our verse where Paul says, I'm, I'm toiling and struggling to present everybody. And Jesus just said, oh, I already did that. I'm already presenting everybody. Do you get it? God is going to do the work. He's already done the work. Everybody just go like this. <sighs> Take a deep breath. Number three, the power of love. Look, Christian, when you know that you are loved no matter what, when you know that there's no success or failure in this, when you know that there's nothing left to prove to Christ, to God, when you, when you know that it's, all, it's just faith, just trusting Him and letting, getting out of the way, let Him use you, 
This is what frees us up to actually toil and struggle without the burnout, without the guilt, without the despair, without the depression, without the comparing. We can actually go into Grace Gives saying, let's toil and struggle. Let's work super hard with the energy that Christ supplies, the power that Christ himself supplies. We can toil and struggle from a place of rest. Do you believe that? Will you do that? I know you will. Let's pray. Jesus, you have presented me Holy, blameless, above reproach. I, I, honestly, I still can't wrap my head around that some days. I sure don't feel holy and blameless and above reproach. But that's who you say I am. I'll just pray for myself right now. I, I pray that I'll walk into this week from that position, from that placement, that I am already in heaven with you, Jesus that your victory is already won, that our hope is secure. And now I just pray for my brothers and sisters that they too will join me in that journey, a journey into toiling and struggling from rest. You supply all we need. We know you do. We know you will. We love you. We trust you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.